Hello everyone, welcome back to Can't Stop, Won't Stop, where we can't stop and we won't stop fighting for justice. I'm your host, Lindsay Ann. Today, you will hear a response that I got from Joel Conway's wife and some highly bothersome facts and allegations having to do with Pennsylvania State Police Troopers. Are you ready? Let's do this! Hey guys, D here. Before we start, I'd like to thank all of our Can't Stop, Won't Stop patrons. Your monthly donations helps families just like ours fight for justice. The amount of money that we had to spend on a PI FOIA request, travel expenses, signs, bracelets, posters, and so much more was detrimental on our family. Which is why Lindsay created her Patreon tiers ranging from $8 a month up to $100 a month. Without each of you, there is no way she could continue to help in the fight for justice. Thanks, babe. And so you guys, if you're wondering how you can help on a monthly basis, please check out my Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash can't stop, won't stop, where you can learn about those four different tiers that are available. We appreciate you. Yes, we do. Before I start, please be aware that this week's episode, like many, is not for little ears. I will be talking about some very disturbing and alarming information. So last week, you got to know the dishonorable Joel Conway of Osceola Mills, Pennsylvania. It seems like word is starting to spread that some podcaster from Michigan is spreading rumors about Joel and his wifey isn't so happy about it. Prior to starting this series on Terry Clark Sr.'s fatal hit and run, I reached out to a few characters whom I knew I was going to expose and I offered a chance for them to comment. And up until this past Sunday, none of them had written me back. Remember, Sean Inlow blocked me, but he didn't reply. Well, on Sunday, May 15, 2022, two days after the episode featuring her despicable husband was published, I got a response from Joel's wife, Beth Conway. On May 3, 2022, I sent the following message to Beth. I said, quote, Hi there, super random, but I'm wondering if you'd be willing to speak with me regarding some huge concerns I have been informed of regarding your husband, Joel Conway. I am a podcaster and will be exposing everything in the near future. Just wanted to give you the opportunity to comment on the allegations I'm going to be exposing. Hashtag justice for Terry Clark, end quote. And 12 days later, on May 15, Beth Conway commented with this. But hold on. I'm going to read it in the way that she typed it. So if I get a message with words in all caps, I take it as you're yelling at me. 
She said, quote, I'm just going to say, when the truth finally comes out, which I'm sure it will, whether be apologies blasted everywhere for everyone to hear, just like the allegations, Joel not only passed the lie detector test that day, but passed with flying colors. Everyone is feeding off each other with those rumors, and before you make shit public, you should really do your homework and not just publicize bullshit. Because the rumor I heard at that time was Terry couldn't get a ride from his loving wife because she was busy with her young boyfriend at that sleepover at her friend's house. Now that's just a rumor because I wasn't there, just like you and all those other jackasses weren't there to see who hit Terry that night. I considered Terry to be a friend, and that was a terrible thing that happened that night, and equally terrible that his children had to go through that. But that night, Joel was with me all night, and he was not at Doobie Thompson's playing cards or the driver of the hit-and-run vehicle, and that is the truth, end quote. So you guys, according to Google, writing in all caps indicates that the writer does not like to relate to people at a personal level. Also, such writers are quite egotistic. They hold strong opinions and it's very tough to get them to see another point of view. Hmm. Sounds about right, doesn't it, Mrs. Conway? So then I responded back with the following. Quote, Thank you for the response. I can assure you that I'm doing my homework. I have no idea who hit and killed Terry Clark. I do, however, know that Joel's name is the only name that has been brought up, including statements from him admitting the hit and run death of Terry Clark Sr. I also have a copy of his polygraph, and I know the questions he was asked were catered to him passing wrong details of the crime. I also know many polygraph examiners, and I know that polygraphs are useless. My sister-in-law was murdered, and her ex-boyfriend allegedly failed miserably. Then, to find out he is completely innocent. You will never win an argument regarding polygraphs. Nice try. Who were the other people at your house that night that Terry was hit and killed? Just you and Joel, or were other people with you? Thank you for your help with getting Terry justice and clearing Joel's name. Also, I have never said Joel killed Terry, so if he's innocent, I have no need to apologize. I'm just exposing facts. The fact is, nearly 30 different people implicate Joel as having something to do with Terry's death. The fact is, Joel has a very extended criminal record. The fact is, Joel is and was an informant for the police. The fact is, Joel is not an upstanding human. Oh, And I find it interesting that you considered Terry a friend of yours, but yet your husband claims to have never known him. And thank you for the info about Terry's loving wife. I'll be sure to ask her about the rumors. Thumbs up. To which Beth aggressively replied with, quote, Statements! I would have to see these. Joel's condition during the time of the hit and run, I agree questionable. Okay, very poor, but I know where he was at the time in question, so you're barking up the wrong tree. 
I have nothing further to say about this. Could you keep in mind that I have children and grandchildren that's been through a lot here because of these accusations? Lastly, the truth will come out, hopefully sooner than later. I knew Terry before I ever met Joel. I grew up in Peaburg. He grew up in Du Bois area. So try again. Do not contact me again. Thank you. End quote. So you guys, I take it really serious when someone asks me not to contact them further. And I will not contact Beth Conway ever again. I will, however, use my platform to respond to her indirectly. As you probably noticed, Beth deflected my question and request for the names of the other people allegedly at their house the night of Terry's hit and run, whom could confirm Joel's alibi. If anyone listening can prove Joel Conway was at his house between 4.30 and 5 a.m. on June 11, 2005, please contact me. I'd also love to hear from anyone that was allegedly partying at his house the night of the 10th and into the hours of the 11th with Joel and his wife, Beth. So far, the only people saying Joel had a party at his house that night and was not at Doobie's is him and Beth. I find it laughable that Joel and Beth claim that Joel didn't know who Terry Clark Sr. was. You guys, this is such a small town and everyone knows everyone. I tell Jessica all the time when I'm talking to her that I can't keep up with who is who because I feel like everyone in this town is somehow related and word travels so fast around Osceola Mills, Clearfield, and Phillipsburg. There is no doubt in my mind that Joel absolutely did know Terry Clark Sr., And there is no doubt in my mind that the two of them did not like each other and it was known that they didn't like each other. Okay, and next, guess who else has children and grandchildren, Beth? Terry Clark Sr. does. After last week's episode and hearing Joel's extensive arrest record, I think Beth has a hell of a lot more to worry about for her children and grandchildren. And since she brought up her children, it appears that her son is following the same path as her criminal husband. Listen to this article we found. Chase Craig Conway, 30, of Osceola Mills, who is accused of fleeing police with a four-month-old child and a large cachet of illicit drugs in his vehicle. According to the Affidavit of Probable Cause, on July 10 at 4.14 p.m., Clearfield-based state police were on patrol in the area of Walton Street in Osceola Mills when the trooper attempted a traffic stop on Conway for having an expired inspection sticker. The vehicle pulled into the parking lot of the Dollar General without signaling. The vehicle then stopped, and Conway got out and fled on foot. Police were unable to locate Conway, so he returned to the suspect's vehicle and found a four-month-old child crying in the rear passenger seat, and the child was removed from the vehicle. Police looked through the vehicle to find something to calm the baby. He opened a black box behind the driver's seat and found a large amount of suspected methamphetamine, 
heroin, fentanyl, and three glass smoking pipes. You guys, Beth is worried about me hurting her children and grandchildren. When will she stop blaming others and start aiming blame at the real issue? Her own family hurting her children and grandchildren. I looked up Chase Craig Conway's criminal record. And you guys, he's had 35, not three or five, 35 filing dates for criminal charges. One as recent as May 12, 2022. That's seven days prior to this recording. On May 12, 2022, Joel and Beth's son Chase was arrested on two counts intentional possession of a controlled substance by person not registered. He was arraigned and was not able to post bail, so it appears Beth's grandchildren are without their father due to his poor choices, not mine. Chase has a preliminary hearing on May 23rd, 2022 at 2.30 p.m., which you guys just so happens to be the same day as Joel's, his father, upcoming final arraignment. So maybe Beth should be more concerned with her son and husband's actions than mine. Just saying. I do want to say, though, that Beth's children and grandchildren should never take the brunt of what their dad and grandpa are accused of doing. It's never okay to bully children, especially on something that is out of their control. Chase Conway is old enough to make his own decisions. He is choosing to live a life similar to his father. Beth can try to spew blame on others, but it's not my fault. It's the fault of her choices and her family members' choices. Oh, and I looked up Beth Holly Conway's record as well. And I think she's the one barking up the wrong tree, not me. Yikes. How's that for doing my homework, Beth? So there's your update on Joel and his family. And in case you're wondering, I did ask Terry's wife, Brenda, about Beth's accusation of her being with another man the night Terry was killed. And here's her response. Quote, I was not with another guy. I didn't start seeing my boyfriend until about a year after. We did tell people we were together because I was tired of guys hitting on me just days after. I promise you, I was not with another guy. Didn't start dating my boyfriend until July 2006. I was not with anyone that night, end quote. Brenda, I believe you. I promise. Thank you for answering my question, and I'm so sorry you're going through this bullshit and people like Beth are deflecting from the real issue at hand, which is the fact that your husband was hit and killed on June 11, 2005, and the coward that did it has not been caught yet. Okay. So you guys, let's now get to know another key player in Terry Clark's story. Then state trooper Sean Inlow, 
who is now retired and owns the Launchpad in Phillipsburg. I'll fill you in on that in an upcoming episode. I want you to first hear what type of guy Sean Inlow is, along with some of his fellow state troopers. I have written statements alleging the following. Quote, Troopers Johnson and Inlow are well known to be having sex with young women in order that these women get out of drug possession charges and the like. They allegedly have sex with high school girls behind the school, end quote. Another person states that he, quote, heard of Johnson having sex with high school girls. It is known that the Phillipsburg police are dirty, end quote. Another person said that he, quote, used to sell one to two pounds of pot every couple of weeks that he got from Trooper Sean Inlow, badge number 7892, end quote. And we have another claiming that her ex-boyfriend was buying Percocet from Trooper Corporal Bob Mann from the Phillipsburg Barracks. And listen to this one. When this guy was in high school in both Phillipsburg and Moshannon Valley, his friends from Houtsdale were, quote, fronted by Trooper Inlow with marijuana to sell, but also, late in their dealings, more potent drugs. They were later selling heroin, methamphetamines, and pills. Trooper Inlow taught them how to make the heroin appear to be more potent by adding some pills, such as Loratab or Percocet, to it. Trooper Inlow provided them with these pills. Trooper Inlow taught them to buy pill splitters and some type of pill-forming device from the local pharmacies. Trooper Inlow eventually stopped fronting them drugs because some of the people selling for him owed too much money to him, end quote. Another person that Trooper Inlow was allegedly fronting cocaine to owed Trooper Inlow $14,000, and another person claimed to have witnessed several times Trooper Johnson selling drugs to Joel Conway. This same person stated that, quote, the only transactions that he had witnessed Conway buying from the troopers were relatively small amounts and mostly from Inlow, end quote. A different statement says, quote, the cops had a house that they were in and having sex with girls. The police had people selling crystal meth in. In addition, cops were having sex with high school girls for drugs, end quote. Someone mentioned that there was an article in the Center Daily Times about missing drugs in the evidence room at the Phillipsburg Barracks and that Inlow and Johnson were being investigated. But you guys, I wasn't able to locate the article, so I'm not sure of the outcome. I'm thinking that Inlow and Johnson were not found guilty as they continued working for several more months prior to retiring. Or could that be the reason they retired? I'm not sure. I have also been informed that there was drug dealings and usings at the Osceola Mills pool. And guess who is on the pool committee? Yep. Retired trooper Sean Inlow. Coincidence? Doubtful. And then we have an alleged confidential informant for the state troopers say that the cops would threaten him directly, and they told him that if he said the wrong things that his family would be in jeopardy. 
He said that Inlow and Johnson had sex with 14-year-old girls, not just by the school, but in many locations. He stated that these two are low on the totem pole as far as the entire operation. Many people are involved in the dealing of drugs. Many others have been beaten up, and some, both male and female, were raped. No one will come forward and talk. They are too afraid, he says. This CI said that he was a very small underling, which means a person lower in status or rank. He said only 16 or so at the time, and he finally got away. It goes much higher in the state police, and that Johnson and Inlow were far from being the bigwigs. When he was still a confidential informant, this person was arrested, and when the arresting trooper left the room, Inlow came in in his street clothes, leaned over to him, and told him not to worry that they will get him out of it. The officers and others that worked with them had a history of threatening people and as far as to threaten their families if they were to do the wrong things. They had a history of raping both girls and boys, a history of making 14-year-old kids sell drugs for them. One time when this CI was in jail, State Trooper Parks, who worked in the barracks across from Bald Eagle High School, would take this confidential informant's contraband from him, let him be searched, and then give the contraband back to him. He also said that any time something happened, Inlow was quick to come to the scene. He stated that Inlow was the worst in his eyes because he would get the confidential informants to get them young kids for sex. That was their main thing. They had plenty to retire on, but they craved sex and with young people. Inlow would have sex with as young as 12 to 14-year-old girls and boys. Johnson only with females but never turned down a young girl if he had the opportunity. This person also stated that his job for the three years that he worked with the police was to mainly get young girls and boys to have sex with these grown men. He said that he was taught well how to do it, and if he failed at his job, he and others would be beaten, yelled at, and raped or humiliated in some way. He stated that sometimes these subjects were paid cash. Other times they got drugs, and at other times they would be threatened either personally, their families, or a pet, or something that they cherished. They would also kidnap people at times, including others that owed money. People would get their houses broken into, at times burned down, or some people would just disappear. He said he was very good at his job. However, he followed the code, and when he had the opportunity, he walked away. He said that as long as he does not tell on them, he will be safe. The former confidential informant also said that at his age, the things he did were somewhat exciting, but he hopes he never has to go back to them. The main thing that bothered him the most was having to recruit the girls. He hated to have to get 12-year-old girls for Johnson and Inlow. 
He said that he would pick them up a block or two from their houses and take them to a hunting camp or an abandoned house out in nowhere land. He recalled wondering how these girls must have felt after being raped and then coming down the steps to see the living room with a bunch of addicts. Some of these girls were simply groomed to prostitution and were happy to repeat the outing. Other girls were paid drugs or threatened not to say or tell anything about it. He said that if it was necessary to threaten someone, then not only the person was threatened, but they also would tell them that their family would be killed, too. He said that he only went on three or four times to pick up the drugs for them. He does not know what town. He said they would take back roads most of the way, and that they would go about 20 miles inside the Maryland state line. They would fill up the trunk and bring the drugs back. He said that Johnson and Inlow would never touch the drugs. They would make the kids cut them and repackage them. This confidential informant said he would make $2,000 a week for his work. And after repackaging the drugs, they would then distribute them around the general Phillipsburg area. They had drop-off places so that they rarely saw who got them. A drop-off place might be behind a tree limb or so near a hunting camp. They were out-of-the-way places. He also stated that at one time, they had their gang set up a meth lab at the hunting camp at Black Mashannon State Park. They tried for a while, but then gave up on the idea. He said that the headmen were dumb on the idea because they gave them the chemicals and did not give them the right equipment to make the meth. The product that they were able to make was inferior and the effort failed. The CI believes that the troopers, as a way to control their gang, would send or let some go to jail for relatively petty crimes or only a fraction of what they should be charged with. This keeps the, the cops in control and keeps people from snitching. And at the end of the statement provided, it's noted that this confidential informant is disgusted with the things he had done kidnapped people to give them to these grown men for sex. He said that he ruined their lives and that he can never tell his family or future friends. The only exceptions are the people who did it with him. And one other person who knows of it because he had moved in with him. So all of these statements I just read regarding the former confidential informant were from the years 2009 and 2010. That was really difficult to read. I can't believe that this has happened and quite frankly, probably still does happen in the United States. That was a lot to take in. I realize that what I'm exposing are extremely sensitive and very serious allegations. When I was first made aware of the rumors about some of the Pennsylvania state troopers and their alleged raping of children, I was enraged and needed to look further into it. 
These are caps that we are talking about doing these alleged inexcusable actions to kids. So Jessica and I immediately began researching and fact-finding. If these allegations are in fact true, then we need to protect more kids from these alleged monsters. Jessica shared with me an article that really opened my eyes and helped me realize that what we have been told is very likely true. On Friday, August 17, 2007, the Trib Live published an article titled Pennsylvania Trooper Accused of Pursuing Women He Met on Duty. It states in part, A state trooper stalked and harassed several women he met on duty, fondling one and beginning a sexual relationship with another, usually by telling them he would overlook their transgressions if they had relationships with him, police said in charges announced on Thursday. Trooper Charles T. Butler III is accused of a raft of misdeeds, including having sex on the hood of his patrol car, using a state police computer to track down a woman, and calling a woman so many times that she had to change her phone number. It is an absolute concern when a police officer violates the public trust, said Clearfield County District Attorney William Smith Jr. The accusations laid out against Butler... 37, of Phillipsburg cover the period from 2002 to June 2006 when the state police received an anonymous tip concerning Butler's actions and started investigating him. The investigation uncovered illegal contact with seven women, five of whom Butler is accused of bribing with favors of leniency in return for attention or sexual favors. One woman told police that she and Butler a trooper for nine years, had a long relationship that included having sex on the hood of his patrol car more than a dozen times. She said Butler let her drive despite knowing she had a suspended license and would stop at her house while on duty to have sex, spending up to two hours per visit, according to the probable cause affidavit. The woman said she and Butler even set a wedding date but that she broke off the relationship after she saw Trooper walk into a restaurant with his wife. Butler took another woman to a bar, knowing that she was violating her probation by drinking, then promised not to tell her probation officer, police said. Butler fondled the woman, repeatedly suggesting they have sex, police said. She said he eventually called her so frequently that she had to change her telephone number. Another woman had a speeding ticket that Butler had a district judge change to a lesser violation without any points, and then offered to pay her fine, authorities said. The woman told police that Butler repeatedly suggested they have sex, showing up where she worked and calling her often. On another occasion, Butler used a state police computer used to trace vehicle registrations to track down a woman he was interested in, police said. Butler was arraigned on one count of all unlawful use of a computer and five counts of bribery, 
offering the woman legal favors in exchange for their attention. All third-degree felonies that carry up to seven years in prison each. He also faces numerous misdemeanor charges, including six counts of stalking, seven counts of official oppression, eight counts of harassment, and one count of indecent assault. Butler had been on restricted duty since February. Charles T. Butler III. You are awful, distasteful, vile, and heinous. Just to name a few words that come to mind. Sean Inlow and Jeffrey Johnson were troopers at the same time as Charles Butler. Oh, and Jeffrey Johnson is the trooper that worked directly with Joel Conway when he was an informant for Dr. Adams' case. And guess what? There is a trooper, Timothy Butler, that was assigned to Terry Clark Sr.'s investigation in 2005. We have been informed that he is related to the corrupt cop Charles Butler III. It's hard for me to believe that the current trooper Butler did not know what his brother was doing to these young ladies. But maybe he didn't, and maybe he was just as disgusted as we are. Either way, it's noted that they are related and there is a connection with corruption in Terry's case. Back to that former confidential informant. Jessica Clark and I both reached out to him, and this is what we got. He told Jessica that he has never talked to police. He hates police, and he said, quote, I always have people starting shit with me for fuck's sake. The ex-mayor of Osceola tried to kill me and my cousin in the middle of the street, and people think I was harassing her. And I have never seen that bitch till she walked out of the bar and told me to get the fuck out of her town. And to say I had anything to do with underage girls tells me clearly the people telling you info are retarded. Don't fucking call me a pedophile or insinuate that. There are two things I can never be called, and that's a pedo or a rat. If you've been around my house, there is a sign on the front door and one on the back that says no trespassing and if caught on my property without permission I will attack I've been attacked and fucked with enough if I would have been around cops that were molesting little girls I would have killed them and I have never sold drugs I was a user who robbed dealers I would never associate with the police end quote and then I messaged him two days ago asking if he'd speak with me about retired troopers Inlow, Johnson, and Butler. His response is this, quote, No, I wouldn't, because someone's been running around here running their mouth, and I have had a lot of trouble lately, end quote. His responses now in 2022 make me wonder if someone else got to him before we did. 
I wonder if Inlow threatened him and warned him about people digging into the past and actually caring about children and getting criminals and creeps off the streets. I don't know, but I do find it odd that he's had a lot of trouble lately. You guys won't want to miss next week's episode. Terry Clark's daughters, Jessica and Sam, met with Sean Inlow. I will fill you in on that conversation as well as dissecting a couple of his blog articles and more allegations of him raping young girls. There is way too much to share in just one episode. And I am appalled that this type of behavior happens. This is exactly why police get a bad reputation. This is exactly why it's hard for some of us to trust the ones sworn to protect and serve our community. This is exactly why we lose faith in our law enforcement. Yeah, Charles Butler III was held accountable. But what about the other Pennsylvania state troopers that knew what he was doing, or even participating in his demeaning, discerning behavior. When will they be held accountable? When will we have a state trooper say, that's enough? When will we have a state trooper say they truly are for the people and will look into every single one of these allegations? When will we have a state trooper treat these allegations as if it was their son or daughter that was allegedly raped by the same people I used to raise my kids to trust and honor? This was an exceptionally difficult episode to produce. It's hard to believe that this allegedly happened and likely still happens in America, let alone anywhere. I hate that I have to look into these allegations, and I hate that these allegations even exist. But I will do everything everything in my power to expose the corruption. And I will do everything in my power to make sure no child is ever touched inappropriately by these cowards again. I welcome Sean Inlow, Jeffrey Johnson, Charles Butler III, Joel Conway, and any other person I speak of to reach out to me and prove these allegations false. You can reach me on Facebook Messenger at Lindsay Ann, on Instagram at my Lindsay Ann, or you can email me at lindsayann3 at yahoo.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-A-N-N, the number three, at yahoo.com. We don't know who hit 
killed and left Terry Clark Sr. dead. No one has been arrested as of this episode. The names I have mentioned are innocent, and everything I have said about them are allegations at this time. This coming June 11, 2022, will mark 17 years without Terry Clark Sr. We can't stop and we won't stop fighting for Terry Clark Sr.'s justice. We will make sure his alleged killer cannot do this to another innocent person. We will put pressure on authorities to treat Terry Clark Sr. as if it was their own father. Huge, huge, huge shout out to Terry's daughters, Jessica and Sam, and to his wife, Brenda. Without all of the crucial information each of them have received and the deep dive into your father and husband's suspicious death, none of this could be done. It's because of you that I am able to make awareness on the seemingly lack of police work done on Terry Clark Sr.'s case. Please join the Closure and Justice for Terry Clark Sr. Facebook group for more information, as well as the Can't Stop, Won't Stop Facebook page. You guys, this bullshit happens way more often than you think. Many families think they are alone in their fight against law enforcement. I am here to let you know that you are not alone. You are not the only family treated poorly by law enforcement when seeking justice for a loved one. I'm here to help give you the confidence to speak up. Use your voice and prove what is truly happening in your loved one's case. Please join our live on Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Facebook at Can't Stop, Won't Stop. And you can also follow me at MyLindsayAnn on Instagram. You guys, like I always say, I don't have any training in law enforcement, and I am not a lawyer. I'm just a girl that is driven to find justice. I'm just a girl that truly cares. I'm just a girl that has a hell of a lot more empathy for victims' families than many people with badges do. It is absolutely disgusting what so many grieving families have to go through. What if this happened to your innocent loved one? Would you stop fighting? Would you back down? Hell no. We can't stop and we won't stop fighting until we get answers. And if you guys enjoyed this episode please give me a five-star review on Apple Podcast. This is something that's free, and it will help get the awareness to the public about the injustices happening to so many grieving families. Thank you so much for all of your support. And for those of you who don't like that I'm helping families seek justice, well, then just stay away because mean people suck. Keep an eye out for my spring and summer merch coming very soon to Can't Stop, Won't Stop.store. Stay tuned. 
You know, I don't know why so much pain and loss has to happen. I don't have all the answers. Only he does. And sometimes the best thing to do is, is just trust it. It was back in 04 when Grandpa died and my shirt was soaking wet with tears from my eyes. You tried to call me down, tried to plead your case, but I just bit that face right back in your face. And you said, well, you may not understand now, somehow, someday, some way, you'll find out why it had to be, yeah, according to his plan, he won't put you through anything that he thinks you can't make it through with his everlasting love. You may need to scream at the top of your lungs, cause while you think he died at too young an age, it really was his time, there's no reason for rage. He's in a better place now, away from the pain and the stress and the hate and the hurt and the strain. The best way to honor him and his legacy is to live how he did and not question me. No, God, no, please no Tell me it ain't so Tell me that I'm dreaming 